You're listening to the Going Offsides podcast. Your home for lacrosse news, stories, and everything in between. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Going Offsides podcast. And today we have a special treat. We've got, you know, somewhat of a Canadian legend here with us, James Calder. So, so Jim, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure to join you and talk about uh, lacrosse. <laughs> and, and so from my understanding, you, you have not had the typical, you know, you're in the Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Fame, but you know, most of the people that I know that are in that Hall of Fame started off playing lacrosse in Canada, probably were box players first, may have had field experience, but you kind of took a different route. So why don't you kind of explain that route to me real quick, because it is pretty unique for a for Canadian. Yeah, I, well, I started out, I was born and lived in Regina, Saskatchewan until I was seven and a half. And then my dad got a job down in New York and our whole family moved. We like the Beverly Hillbillies, but we, we moved to, uh, to uh, Baldwin, Long Island. My dad worked in in New York city, but uh, we made that move. So I kind of grew up from age seven and a half uh, to 18 on Long Island and was introduced to lacrosse when I was probably around 11 because uh, I had older brothers that were picking up the game and, uh, you know, would pick up their sticks and, and use them. And then I really got serious with it. I left baseball and moved to lacrosse at age thir- 13 or so. So that was uh, when I made my commitment to field lacrosse. At the same time, I, I didn't realize that I was still Canadian because uh, I was down <laughs> in the U.S. And uh I thought I'd become naturalized or something like that and became, and I grew up certainly as an American uh, in background down there. And uh, it only took till I got to Hobart uh, College in 1978 when Team Canada was looking for Canadian players. And I I was fortunate to play in upstate New York against like Mike French and Johnny Moradian, two legends of the game. And they kind of asked me if I was Canadian and that pursuing that answer I found out I was still Canadian and I'd be the only pure field player to play for Canada and at that yeah. time I don't know if I'm still the only one uh, <laughs> well I mean it's pretty unique to have a purely field player playing for team Canada I'll say that um I, I don't I can't think of one off the top of my head but it, it certainly is a unique thing and unique to you. Now, having said that, you did play at Hobart in the 70s, so I have to ask you automatically how many national championships you won. Well, we, we kind of set the plate. I, I arrived at the right time because two Hobart teams had been to the national championship game two years in a row and lost by a goal each time. And uh, so I came in, and the fever at Hobart to become a national champion couldn't have been any higher. And uh, so I, I, I chose Hobart out of about six schools. And I did that because I, I wanted a small Northern school that was rabid about the game and, and Hobart offered all of that. And uh, I, I am so glad that I <laughs> made that choice. And uh, we won two national championships in a row, 76 and 77. 
And then my third year, we had a team that was equally as good as the first two, but Roanoke College beat us with the last 40 seconds in the championship game on a trick play. And, uh, you know, we, we, we won silver that year. And my gotcha. senior year was just really a, a difficult year for a number of reasons. We lost our coach, Jerry Schmidt, that year uh, during the season. And uh, that, that was a, a, a tough year, but, you know, I, I'd had two championships. So, you know, that was, that was a pretty good experience at Hobart. Yeah. I mean, for, for the younger listeners, Hobart was absolutely legendary through the, you know, through the seventies and early eighties and, and kind of, I guess was Hopkins before Hopkins because you were like the D3 school playing D1 lacrosse and, you know, remain one of those few schools today. So uh, a very, a program steeped in tradition, I, I should say. Um, so, and that, now yeah. do you have, do you have any, you know, do you ever look back at today's Hobart and, and, you know, talk, talk to the teams or the players or the coaches, or, you know, is the alumni still, is the alumni base still very strong? Uh, I, I was very fortunate that my two daughters actually played for William Smith. Okay. So I got to go back a lot. And I, I would always be in touch with Greg Raymond along mm -hmm. the way. And, you know, it just, I thought they had a real uphill climb without having the same ability to give scholarships right. uh, in D1. So, you know, I, in the beginning, I, I thought they should have stayed D3 after things changed and they couldn't get the scholarships. But I've seen how Greg's built a program where they play with a lot of uh, class and, and quality. And, uh, you know, I, I support them being in D1 now. And, you know, it's, it's uh, I, I have spoken a few times back there about the game over the years. Beautiful. And let's, let's piggyback on that because so you love speaking about the game and you also love writing about the game. And so you have already written two or you have two published works already, correct? That's right. Uh, so that's lacrosse, the ancient game, and then women play lacrosse, a history of the international field game. That's right. And so you've just recently completed your third project, which is tales of a lacrosse troubadour. That's right. And that's a product of the uh, pandemic. Uh, I've been thinking about that book for a number of years. And uh, with all the extra time that we've all had on our hands for the most part, uh, I was able to pull that all together over the last year and a half. So it's been great. Yeah. And, and so leading up to this conversation I did a little digging and I, I remember I, I'd seen that title before because it, it's a unique title you know I, I don't see the word troubadour very often and I hope I'm saying it right so when I looked back at it, I was like I'm pretty sure we've covered this and I looked back and I saw that on lacrosse all-stars we wrote about your kickstarter that you used to kind of finish off the book especially on the graphics and then that you work with Vinny and a couple uh, and a couple of other people so uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Because this was not just, this book is rich in graphics and pictures and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been able to do the book without finding a way to finance uh, a, at least 50% of the book. And uh, Kickstarter was introduced to me and I had no understanding of Kickstarter or how it worked. But 
it was amazing to me that I got over 100 supporters for Kickstarter that helped me at least get the book off to this stage right now. And I still owe some printing bills and things like that, but at least I was able to get the book completed. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm so thankful to everybody who stepped up uh, during that campaign. And, uh, you know, it's just been uh, great, great to have that support. So you, you have the two previous books. H how is this book different from those two? And what can people expect when, when reading this one? Yeah, well, each of the three books is different and was done for a different purpose. And I'll just give a quick reason behind them. Lacrosse the Ancient Game uh, came out of my evolving relationship with a lot of First Nations friends and, and understanding what, what made the game so important. Uh, you know, the, the essence of the game, the, the spiritual nature of the game, the history of the game. And I wanted to share that oral tradition in that book, plus also the early history of the game, kind of going up to the late 1890s uh, from the very beginning where rules were put to it by George Beers and some other stories uh, in that book as well. The second book, because I was blessed with having two daughters that both played lacrosse among other sports, uh, as a parent, you get pulled into everything, uh, especially if there's not a, a lot of girls field lacrosse in your area you end up uh working hard on creating it at the high school and club level and and following that journey so that the second book i looked around there wasn't any book on the history of the women's lacrosse anywhere um so i that one was really difficult for me it took three years to do because i was starting from zero knowledge but i ended up talking to some of the greatest builders of the women's game from all over the world over that time and we were able to create uh that book that i hope will start as a catalyst uh for uh, other women to write their history as well i did it because i was a dad who wanted a book for my daughters uh gotcha. where they knew the game and this book this book is one you know after you're a player and a coach and, and builder and you know everything else and you, you know i'm now entering I'm less than a month away from senior citizenship, <laughs> but the, uh, you, you just think about how important this game was to you along the, the whole journey of your life. You know, it, it, if you're passionate about the game, which I know so many of your listeners and, you know, so many of my friends and people that I know, they are friends and people that I know because of the game. And I wanted to tell a story that would kind of encompass all the years that I was involved with the game, which really started with wood sticks on Long Island and then the invention of plastic sticks and what that did to the NCAA and what that did to international competition. But not, not about the sticks so much, but as the journey you, that you took without any real planning or foresight, there were no pro leagues or anything like that. So you just followed your heart and followed that all over the world, playing the game as best you could, uh, usually at the poverty level, but just enough to have a good time wherever you were. <laughs> and so, so this book encompasses that and takes us towards the Olympics in 2028 and 
you know, that, that whole movement. And it, it, it's to show that journey of like 55 years. And yeah, I'm just pleased to be involved in part of it by pure fate, much like uh, I always joke around and talk about being a Forrest Gump character in this game of lacrosse. You know, just seem to be at the places at different times where the game was important. That's, I mean, it, I'm sure I haven't had my, you got my hands on it yet, but I'm sure it's an extremely unique perspective. Anyone that's, uh, anyone that I've talked to that knows you has told me how crazy your journey has been. So, um, you know, we're all on our own little lacrosse journeys and, and they're all unique, but I, like you said, you've been there through some pretty sub substantial times throughout history. So I'm looking forward to reading it. And for anybody that wants to get their hands on any of your books, what, what is the best way to do that? Uh, the easiest way is through a website that I have going. And if I can say it, uh, I will now, if that's all yeah, right. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, it, it's www.lacrosstheancientgame.com. Lacrosstheancientgame.com. And I will obviously link that in the description of the episode and with the article so that it's easy to find. And when does the book officially release? I, I guess I'm saying the official release date will be at LaxCon in a few days uh, next okay. week. Um, uh, you know, it's, I've been going back and forth because of the new Omicron variety of, <laughs> yeah. of the you know, pandemic and uh, but I, I believe, and also my book is, is literally, I don't have it in my hands, but going through my printer uh, this whole week, I, I should have it on Monday. <laughs> and that'll give me just enough time to uh, get set up for, for LaxCon. Uh, I can wait till Tuesday, but I'm hoping that'll be uh, arrive on Monday here in, <laughs> Tor in Toronto. So fantastic. So yeah. you, you heard it here. If you're interested in, in, in any of Jim's books, especially the new one, Tales of Lacrosse Troubadour, go to lacrosstheancientgame.com or visit him at LaxCon next week, January 14th and 15th. All right, Jim. So, you know, obviously we don't want to give away too much from the book, too many of your stories, but why don't you give us a little bit of your background working with the First Nations? Uh, well, as I mentioned before, probably the first uh, person that I, I I met and became friends with and really learned a ton from was a faith keeper from Six Nations by the name of Delmore Jacobs, or, or his Haudenosaunee name is Dalzandre, which means prairie fire coming at you. Um, and uh, Delmore uh, taught me a ton. Um, I've been fortunate over the years to have sessions with Oren Lyons here and there, usually uh, down in Onondaga. And uh, one of my greatest friendships is with my, my good friend, Alf Jacks, who I'm going to see in Laxcon uh, uh, in Baltimore next week. Uh, and Alf and I, have, I don't know, we were kind of like, I went and visited him because I was writing that first book and I wanted perspective of a stick maker. And uh, we kind of just became friends automatically. We First thing we did is we took a couple of sticks off his wall up down at his shop in Onondaga and we just went out and had a catch and uh, that's how simple this game is and friendships in this game are you just get a stick out and have a catch and you know from that point on I've been very fortunate to be 
uh, friends with, with, with Alf, who's, uh, you know, just one of the amazing people in this game. Um, so through those friendships, I, I really pursued, I wanted, let me, see, let me say it this way. The, the game, although is growing like wildfire over the last 15, 20 years with pro leagues, you know, all through, you know, North America and uh, around the world, we have to keep a part of the game front of mind so that we don't become, uh, you know, a cookie cutter version of the game where everyone plays the same, doesn't understand why they're there. And my teachings that I've learned from uh, the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabe um, and the Choctaw um, are that the game is spiritual, it's medicine first and foremost. And so I've tried to pursue different things like running uh, reenactments. We did a big one in Montreal, 2017, where we showed the medicine game and then the the first modern games from the 1860s. We did reenactments there. I did reenactments with the Anishinaabe and their Great Lake stick style form of the game uh, down in uh, near Windsor, Ontario, near Detroit. Uh, we did that a couple of years ago. Uh, and then uh, we, we did, we've done other small reenactments and, and teaching the game in different areas uh, a lot of that was with Delmore uh, early on and, uh, and then, you know, just pursuing it. Also, um, I, I am very fortunate to have been a long-term member of the Canadian Lacrosse Foundation. And part, one of our mandates is to promote the history and culture of the game. And uh, we uh, have put on... Uh, uh, what's called a video library of talks with great builders and players of the game, both First Nations and non-First Nations, uh, mainly up here in Canada, but also uh, in upstate New York, that, that sort of thing. So all of these things have led me to pursue uh, learning more about the game through those interviews and through the reenactments that we've done. Fantastic. And those are extremely unique things. And I think you hit the nail on the head with as the game continues forward, there, there are definitely some efforts made to keep the origin of the game at the forefront and in everyone's mind, but I don't think that's done enough or I don't think it's widespread enough at the moment. So I think it's important that people like you and, and, other people that are obviously very invested in the future of the game and in the past, make, make sure that we continue to do so. So I think we need to, you know, recognize those indigenous roots as often as we can. And like you said, make sure it's not a, a cookie cutter version of lacrosse, you know, and then I'll end up looking like a lot of the other sports that we see where it's just, you know, there's nothing, you know, there's not, there's nothing historically special about it or, you know, there, there's no spirit behind it, if you will. So, um, Jim, I, I really appreciate your time and I really look forward to getting my hands on, on a copy of your book and, you know, supporting your work that you do for the game. And I encourage everybody to, to go to lacrosse, the ancient game link below and check out the books for themselves.
Well, I, I appreciate that very much, Nick. And I, I'll get, I'm going to get you a copy as soon as I get them off the truck. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. I mean, you, you make sure you go to LaxCon and get that taken care of first, but um, I, I do appreciate your time and everything you do. And, and I'm sure we'll have you back on at a later date where we could do some deep dives into some of your experiences that I read about in the book. Well, I, I, I really appreciate the interest and, uh, you know, just, uh, hope that everybody, uh, you know, gets through this next bout of the, uh, pandemic and that we're all playing lacrosse as of this spring, you know, hope that's all moving forward for all of us. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> Same here. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, give us a review, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Going Offsides. 